Choo-choo, it's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. I am the glob glow gab lab the shwabble double wobble gobble flibba blabba blab. Uh, or otherwise known as Micah. Yeah, and I'm Matsy. This is Animation Celery, and this is a show where we give each other cartoons to watch. And then we come back and talk about them, which is what we're going to do today. We got our favorite episodes. I got Micah to watch my favorite episode of The Tick. And Micah built his own favorite episode out of two parts of two episodes of Steven Universe. But before that, Micah, you look like you have something to say. Do you? (laughs) Well, first of all, I want to thank our sponsor, Gebel's Goo. Oh, boy. Now, you know me, I don't usually like to endorse a product unless I believe in it. <laughs> right. And I got to tell you, Gebel's Goo, I'm using it every day. Every day? Yeah, yeah. It shipped me and, you know, it's just so good around the house. And it's antimicrobial. You know what that means? It smells it- as good as when I open the can. Oh, tremendous. You got to love that. You gotta love you gotta love that fresh goo smell. <laughs> That's right. Gebel's goo. It'll clog your access tubes. Yeah, so uh go to gebelsgoo.com. Um uh if I can step out of the bit for a second, probably don't do that. Oh we gotta um, we gotta register but, the domain but, now. <laughs> go to gebelsgoo.com and click on the microphone and enter the phrase ansel. To get 25% off your first order. I guess you could make it the premier New Adventures of He-Man site. (laughs) Discussion and fan site. Um, Oh gosh, a a New Adventures of He-Man wiki. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So, kind of similar. Gebel's Goopedia. Yeah. If people remembered when we watched uh, New Adventures of He-Man, I just kept watching it. Okay. So I've watched a bunch of episodes of Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea. Okay. All right. Yeah. I I filled in my experience and did watch Pirate Games. Um, pirate Club. Pirate Club, rather. Pirate Club, yeah. Um, yeah. They had the Pirate Games, that is. Uh, yes. And, uh, uh, even though I knew it was coming, it cracked me up when at the end of the episode, having hijacked the pirate sub, they just <laughs> let it sink. <laughs> <laughs> That it even <laughs> tilted boat bow down <laughs> and sunk, just cracked me you up. You know, it's funny. Like there was so much in that episode that I thought was hilarious yes. that I would have to explain to you. And it's funny that that isn't one of the ones that stuck out to me. Well, but it's, it's, I mean, your reaction gave it a new life. It's so like I think there's a different sort of mentality from maritime law, right? To where you give help to anyone who asks, and I. I I always have felt that the reason is because dying at sea is about as terrible and terrifying a fate as you could have, right? Yeah. <laughs> but Spartacus and uh, Arcana, <laughs> who cares? I mean, <laughs> they're, they'd probably be better off if those pirates all did drown. But Well, yeah. Um. I, I mean, this isn't my news thing, but yeah. it seems like an okay time to mention it. I fast forwarded and watched the last episode. Yes. Have you? I've not gotten there, no. Okay. Well, if you're planning to get there, then I won't give you any spoilers. Well, you already did, I think. You already told me. Oh, I, thing. that's right. Yeah, I kind of yeah. explained the, a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, 
it's i mean i i'm lacking a lot of context right uh but yeah it's it's got a weird ending that i don't really understand as we mentioned not... the english episodes are uh halfway lost media now yeah so i was just getting them in a series of i guess whatever the uh, particular user had preserved um the first one that stuck oh, go oh, sorry go ahead no go, you, no, you go go, go. Uh, um one of the ones that stuck out to me when i saw the episode list on uh wikipedia yeah was i think the episode is called mama thought yeah and then in the last episode uh two thoughts show up uh. at one point but when I looked for the English episodes, that was one of the ones that I couldn't, it like skipped from episode, like season two, episode 19 to like season two, episode 25 or something. Yeah. So I was like, oh man. Yeah. I was going to share an image on Twitter for that one, but, uh, oh. uh, I don't really like to use anyone else's image. So I'd rather go mm. into the episode and, uh, screenshot my own. Yeah. And might not be an option here. Well, I mean, if you just want a, a screenshot, you could probably find a version that's not in English. Yeah, that's true. So the, the episodes that I did watch, uh, a lot of them were those deceptive kind of episodes where I'd said the show seemed like it was kind of edgy and dark. Mm -hmm. So one of the wa ones I watched had the Mogox in it, which is um, uh, the, the group goes to a, a snowy strata and there's a village that tries to hire them as warriors to protect them from the Mogox, these uh, bar barbarous raiders. Um, and eventually, because Re Rebecca looks so hard. <laughs> yeah. Eventually Spartacus agrees and they, they have a little stop there to, to take them on. Um, and like they, they take out the bridge and then have Arcana make an illusion of the bridge. So a lot of them will get trapped there. Right. And Spartacus is using his, uh, uh, his wrist gun in order to fire trip wires for their big, like uh, monster steeds. Mm -hmm. These guys are just like, you know, barbarian warriors with helmets that have darkened faces and glowing eyes. And, okay. And they scream in another language. Um, anyway. Yeah. And, and uh, Matt and the girl from the village that he's keen on are dumping <laughs> rocks onto them. And uh, then there's a bit where Rebecca's teamed with Bick and Back and Bick and Back form these little fireballs and hurl them, <laughs> hitting a uh, 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 a Mogok apiece with them. And the Mogoks are like freaking out because they're, you know, sparking it on fire. And I was thinking, wow, could Bick and Back do this the whole time? <laughs> Anyways. I mean, they seem to have some kind of like, they have like weird combined knowledge of everything. Yeah. Sort of like based on the first episode. Yeah. I think it's a big probably a big loss to Arcadia that they're gone, but well, yeah. Like they say when they leave, like, what do we do without, I always want to call it shag shag, but it's Terig. Uh, what well, do we the, do without Terig yeah, and Bick and back? The French one is shag shag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the first episode was in French. So that's why I'm thinking it. Right. Right. But yeah, um, they're kind of lamenting not having Bick and back around. Mm. I saw an episode where Spartacus returns to the strata where he was imprisoned and forced to fight as a gladiator. Okay. And uh, Matt, as he does in a lot of these episodes, <laughs> is uh, just kind of this clueless kid. So 
Spartacus is like haunted and keeps saying we should not go to this place, right? Right. He's 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 extra on edge in this episode, and so they're walking and Matt saying, "Hey, your your wrist cannon, your wrist gun is really cool. Where did you get it?" It's like, "Oh, um, I have always had it." Oh, it's so neat. How'd you learn to use it? And it's like, I don't want to talk about this right now. <laughs> and Matt waits for him to be asleep in order to take it from him. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, oh, boy. Anyway, in the thing, Matt ends up getting captured and Spartacus goes for uh, goes there to fight for his freedom, takes a rematch against his old nemesis that captured him. <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool storytelling, though. I like that. He's they've captured more of his, his, his guys at that point. And so he's made this deal like I'll I'll fight one life for two. Right. Mm. And the guy ends up they're, they're on like uh, uh, their gladiator games are on these floating pyramids, these, these tiny pyramids on which they stand and pivot and veer and stuff while shooting their uh, wrist guns. Oh, sure. That sounds like an American gladiators kind of game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the the guy's thing malfunctions right away. Essentially, he takes a knee in order to trick Spartacus and, <laughs> and makes Matt fight in his place. <laughs> yeah, but they don't count on that. Uh, this time he's got Terrig. So the hovercraft just bursts into the uh, into the stadium and wrecks shop, just knocking everything over. <laughs> but yeah, I watched a bunch of them. The, I watched one with a, uh, a Chinese empire. Where, like, it's totally a Chinese empire. The, the, the emperor's built a great wall. Mm-hmm. And he's got an arma of, army of terracotta warriors. Okay. And he really wants to conquer the Arcadia from legend. But his son is an adherent to the, uh, the writings that say that it's forbidden. They should respect Arcadia. Mm. And he's, he's more respected amongst the, the uh, people. So the emperor's making a quick move while he still has any kind of power. Um, one thing that I think is funny in all these episodes, the, uh, the good guys fall through trap doors a lot. <laughs> like what a strange hallmark. I think four times. And I think I've only watched like 12 episodes or something. <laughs> but, um, Based on the last episode, I think there is an aspect of time travel yeah, you'd involved said. in this. Yeah. Um, the last episode is called uh, The Prisoners of the Lost Time, part mm. two. And it involves, I mean, this is going to spoil the end of Spartacus, maybe. Oh, um, I dare you. Do it. But, but um, so it seems that, I don't know, like I said, I didn't see first part i don't know the context here but it seems like there's at some point arcadia there's a cataclysm and it went underground and the they kind of factionalized where one group went underground and the other group went into space and then there was another cataclysm which led the underground ones to factionalize again where half of them decided to go into space as well Hmm. But it seems like that group that was going to go into space actually got trapped in some kind of time stasis, like their own little time bubble. Hmm. And also, at some point in the series, I'm not sure when, the 
a being called the Star Healer, I think, explained to them that the way to heal the Terra was to find the second aura site. Yes. And so and so yeah. the mission becomes traveling through the strata trying to find the second aura site. And it turns out that the second aura site is the people. Oh. Um, and so what they had to do was they had to reunite, like free the other faction from the time bubble that they were in, the prisoners of lost time, mm. and reunite them with the Arcadians at which point they turn into the various people that they've met along the way. Okay. Like, including historic, like, there's Galileo. Yeah, yeah. But there's also, like, Queen Nefertiti. And uh. I think King Tutankhamun might be in there as well. Mm. Um, and, like I said, Tot and Tot's mom, like, various other <laughs> other people yeah. that they've met. Through, they're, like, all these prisoners of lost time just turn into them. I don't know if they're like extensions of them into this world. I, I don't know. It's not really explained. Right. Um, and then they, <laughs> they start playing music. I don't, is this in any of the episodes you saw that uh, Spartacus has a mouth harp? I don't think so, but, but a lot of them were about finding the Arasite. Because it's really funny when there's this like, this like witch doctor guy who has like gray skin mm. and he just starts beating a drum. I love him. And so for the end credits. <laughs> and so it's, yeah, yeah. So he's just, yeah. and then Spartacus just has this mouth harp and he just starts going. Beautiful. And at this point, Matt and Rebecca leave and all of the people turn into another slab of orosite. And the two slabs of Orsite combine and fly into the Terra. And then the whole disc that Arcadia is on, it's not really explained how it happens, but it flies off into the sun. Not the Terra. Like, the Terra and <laughs> you mean Arcadia Sol, fly the... into Sol, yes. Yeah. Huh. Leaving Matt and Rebecca on the beach. Because before this happened, Terig said, like, okay, my children, time to go. And he took them away. Yeah. And they end up back on the beach. And it's like I, I told you earlier in another format um, yeah. that Matt is like, you were right, half pint. We're back in time for dinner. And then their mom calls out, Matt, Rebecca, you're late for dinner. <laughs> yeah. And that so makes, that makes me reckon like how weird it is for instances where people don't age because of time. Yeah. But still, they're like without aging. Uh, Rebecca and Matt have eaten like 300 meals yeah and yeah they're not i thought of that too they're not hungry for dinner yeah and then you know they've had wounds that have uh repaired and knit and stuff hmm yeah well, i don't the, know how to think about that. don't think too well, hard the, i guess is how you yeah, do yeah. Um, the very end of it matt starts running up back to their house and rebecca's kind of looking out at the water and yeah. she's like what is that and then you start to hear that and then you see the submarine kind of drive by in the water yeah. <laughs> and I think the last shot of the series is that, you know, she races Matt up to the top of the hill and she, he's like, what were you looking at out there? And she like smiles at the camera and says, oh, nothing. Oh, you mean like, like that's Matt, the... might, Matt might not remember to. Well, Maybe. he wasn't looking, but it's just, you know, yeah. for the joke of it, she just, <laughs> I'll never tell. Mm. But anyway, that's how Spartacus ends. You know what the show is like? It's kind of like Doctor Who. 
Okay. Like, like okay, it's a, a discrete group of people, four people, that have mm-hmm. a vehicle that travels from place and sometimes time. Yeah, you're right. And, like, old Doctor Who, so it would just be like, yeah, they, they, they meet Galileo, but it's, like, on a crystal place, you know, or mm. they they go to a... <laughs> They go to ancient China, except uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the the mannequin monsters from Doctor Who, but they would have been they would have been like the partner that animated the terracotta warriors, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was, you know, I watched more of it because it's interesting. I was thinking that it's it's inadequate, but it's at least interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's see what else is going on. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm keeping up with Star versus the Forces of Evil. Good. I. I there were a few weeks I, I skipped it and uh, I got back into it and have discovered uh, Eclipse's offspring. Ah, not who I said. Um, I mean that still could be the case, I guess. But uh, who did you think was? I thought Toffee. Oh right, okay, yeah. Yeah. Whereas this one kind of comes out of nowhere, I think. But um, well, a little, like it—it it is alluded to in the episode where that character first shows up. Yeah, I thought it—I thought some of that kind of stuff was just that they hadn't had a concept of the show yet, and that might be a case. That might be fitting the details into the story that it built afterward, but possibly. Anyway, so that's going good. Um, I, what what have you been doing this past week? Um, this past week. Yeah. I can't really think of what I've been doing, but I, did, I know what I did last week. Oh, right. Um, you're you're some, fully loaded. Okay. Yeah. Something that, so I, I'm done with my three things that I watched in quick succession that mm. were all better than the last, but there is one other thing that I watched fueled by Dickie Moe. <laughs> I, I, I was looking at the, the, um, I, I looked at the Wikipedia about the, Cartoons that were direct, the, the Tom and Jerry cartoons that were directed by Gene Deitch, mm. uh, the Czechoslovakian ones. What, did he do them all? He directed all of them, yes. Okay. They, they, they're sometimes, it's like the Gene Deitch era or the Gene Deitch collection. Okay. Um, there are 13 of them. Yeah. Which, which is more than I thought there would be, because to me, thinking back on watching Tom and Jerry, when I was a kid, they seemed kind of rare. Hmm. And then I thought about it, or I looked it up, actually, and there are, I believe, 161 Tom and Jerry cartoons in the 20th century. There's a few more that came out in starting, like, 2002, mm-hmm. but the actual, like, theatrical Tom and Jerry cartoons that okay. would have been on in the 80s when I was a child, there's 161. Hmm. So 13 works out to 8%. Mm-hmm. which is still pretty small. But at the same time, I was looking at this list, like, have I seen all 13 of these cartoons? So, I probably can't name all 13 of them off the top of my head. Well, I sat down and watched all 13 of them. Wow. Yep. And I remembered at least parts of all of them. There were some that I was immediately, I know exactly what this one is. Yeah. There were some where I'm like, there's one called, uh, it's Greek to meow. Mm. where it's in the Greek Acropolis mm-hmm. in the lousy side of it. And I was like, I don't remember 
this concept at all. But I remember Tom getting his nose stuck in Jerry's tiny garbage can and having his nose come out all garbage can shaped. Like, I remember that one gag. Do the pillars all topple like dominoes at one point? Uh, uh, possibly. Hmm. I know that there's, there's a couple of pillar gags. There's one where a, like the, the place where Jerry's hiding out has no cats allowed. Mm. Um, but he like knocks into a statue or a bust and the head falls on top of him. So mm. he's able to pass himself off as a person by walking with this head on top. Okay. Um, there's, there was one called, I always want to call it sorry safari, but that's my Canadian accent. I guess the actual name would be sorry safari. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. and at first I was looking at it like safari. Do I remember a safari? And then suddenly this image of this really round elephant, yeah. With a little red box on the top. It's like, oh, right. And that's the thing. Like, I remember at least parts of all 13 of these. Yeah. I hate that and guy. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> oh, his same owner? guy as the barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. His bald headed owner. Yeah. He's just mean. Yeah. Um, These cartoons are actually really good. I thought. Oh, yeah. They're like the colors a bit washed out compared to regular ones. And the mm. sound is soft and echoey and weird. Mm. But the gags are pretty good. And I noticed a lot of instances where the animation was actually pretty sophisticated. Yeah. Um, there's one called switching kitten, which is about, uh, Tom gets into this weird, creepy castle with a mad scientist in it. This is a scary one. Yeah. Yeah. He's switching the brains of different animals. Yeah. And there's this one sequence where Tom gets, uh, shoved into this series of alchemical tubes yes. of all different shapes and stuff. And I mean, it's a really memorable scene. You know it immediately. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And, but there's this one particular shot that I was looking at, like when he first goes in where it's, it's, it's aimed with the camera from the bottom of the tubes, kind of at an angle. Mm. And so Tom is coming at an angle toward the camera through these tubes that are all different shapes that are warping his body. Mm. So his body is like melding into all these different shapes while also changing perspective toward the camera. Yeah. And then he shoots off screen and it pans over a little bit and he starts going back up through the other side the same way. I was like, that's actually really well animated for, you know, a, a series of these cartoons that I thought were kind of cheap. Oh boy, let me catch my breath. Oh, I'm I'm spooked. <laughs> that cartoon is spooky. Him oh, going the mad that... scientist. The mad scientist's oh. laugh. All he does is just cackle like a hyena. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really effective. It, and um, and Tom losing his mind as he encounters animals that all make the wrong noises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that cartoon affected you so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. There was one with, it's called Landing Stripling, mm -hmm. with a little bird that's flying around. You would recognize his whistling noise. Mm -hmm. It's like, <laughs> just constantly making this noise. And it's just annoying Tom. And Jerry's trying to help him. And there's this shot when the bird first shows up, like Tom is just laying asleep. And you see the bird's shadow as it like flies and circles around over Tom. Mm-hmm. It animates so smoothly that it actually looks rotoscoped. Hmm. It's weird. And for anybody who doesn't know what rotoscoping is, it's when you uh, 
film something live action and then animate it by tracing the drawing over the film. Hmm. Yeah, I I guess overall, like I was really one, I was surprised that I had seen all of them. And two, I was surprised at the quality of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, me too. Watching Dickie Moe. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I loved I I didn't, you know, it was the celery stalker slogan for that episode, but I love that captain just raging about Dickie Moe. <laughs> like it's so barely contained like Dickie Moe. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. The voice is some of the voices in this, like that mad scientist or that captain, like they're so good. The bald headed owner that mm. you mentioned in a few of the episodes, all he ever seems to do is hum. Right. But anyway, the animation in that one, Jerry's got like a very impish sort of way of doing everything. Like he takes furtive steps, right? He kind of like straightens up and tilts his head, then takes like a little a little long step, you know, hmm. the two things that I remembered from that one, the barbecue episode, I can't yeah. remember the name of it. Um, it's one where Tom turns into a soda bottle cause he, cause he's force fed <laughs> so much soda. And at the very end, when Jerry has a steak and he like pokes the bone out of the middle yeah. and he's like wearing it like a skirt and just going around chomping on it. Yeah. And it wiggles. There okay. was one, uh, tall in the trap, which it again, it had bits that I was like, I immediately remembered it. And it was a white, uh, a Western one hmm. where Jerry was stealing cheese from the general store. And Tom was like a traveling mouse catcher that they hmm. hired to like, I remembered like the sheriff and he's like, you better, the general store guy's like, you better do something about this. And he's like, bye Jingo. That's just what I'm gonna do. Like I remembered exactly the way that he said that. I probably screwed it up right there, but yeah, yeah you might remember that, it. That one's it not opens, conjuring an image for me. It opens. It opens with a shot of a card with a chess knight on it, oh, and the okay. credits are just the hand flipping the card back and forth. Yeah. Okay. That sounds familiar. Yeah. You go. I thought you'd remember that. Huh. Yeah. Huh. They're. They're interesting to go back and watch. Crazy. <laughs> All right. That's yeah, cool. Um, yeah. Well, good things. I guess let's, let's, yeah, jump 35 years or so ahead. Yeah. Why not? Well, actually, I guess it would be, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, um, your favorite Tick episode. My favorite Tick episode. It is The Tick versus The Tick. Uh, the Tick is a property created by Ben Edlund, originally a very strange-sized comic uh, that has been adapted into the cartoon I'm talking about today, and two live-action series, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a parody of superhero comics. The titular character is a... Uh, Strange, not quite there, dramatic figure, a muscular uh, superhero wrapped in a blue costume with two antennae. Um, his sidekick, Arthur, wears a white costume with some moth wings. And basically each adventure is just a way to do a send up of uh, superhero comics. <laughs> 
So this particular episode opens with Tick and Arthur sitting for a television interview. After answering no to various questions about his superpowers, the Tick launches into one of his nonsensical stentorian hero speeches. He says a lot of nonsense, basically, that <laughs> as at least the uh, the manner of a, of a hero. <laughs> this thing's merely an extra because there's no context to the rest of the episode. And then we get to the opening theme. Yeah, I actually forgot about that opening part. Kind of weird. Yeah. I was wondering if it was reused, like it was on various episodes that were a minute short or something. Yeah. So the, the episode proper sees Arthur, the Tick, Deflator Mouse, a cowardly Batman parody, and Sewer Urchin, another superhero. They're all in a station wagon and headed to a superhero nightclub called The Comet Club beyond the outskirts of The City. On the same highway... A crazed supervillain, the evil midnight bomber with bombs at midnight, baby, is driving his Volkswagen Beetle also to the club. <laughs> that concept heroes, is so funny. Oh, yeah. When the, when the heroes get to the club, the superhero doorman, doorman, prohibits Arthur from entering, instead directing him to the crummy parking lot shack called the Sidekick's Lounge. Inside the club proper... The Tick meets some associates, but they all worry about a potential confrontation with Barry. They inform Tick that Barry is the brother-in-law of the club owner, and he's a troublemaking wannabe superhero who also goes by the Tick. Just then, Barry Tick bursts through the door looking to fight for his name. Despite his hypermuscular stature, Barry is no match for the Tick, until he turns on his tick-shaped shield, which the clubgoers note, has superhuman crushing power. Yeah, he can squoosh rocks! <laughs> Meanwhile, Arthur encounters the mad bomber in the bathroom. The villain escapes into the club and plants bombs all around it. When Arthur pursues him, he almost gets bounced by doorman, but for the helpful stinkiness of sewer urchin. After the tick overcomes Barry's shield, he gathers up all the bombs and throws them outside, accidentally demolishing the sidekick lounge. In the end, Arthur captures the evil Midnight Bomber, and the Tick gets to keep his name. <laughs> so I'm going to be that guy here. This is uh, pulled mostly from one of his comics, where the Tick and Arthur go to New York. Same basic plot, They well, entirely. They, they go to the comic club, and... Uh, Tick has to fight Barry for his name. No uh, Midnight Bomber in that comic, though. Hmm. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, you know, the comic is 20 pages with big panels. So and yeah, this, is, yeah. uh, this is a 21 minute cartoon, right? But, right. I'm, um, not, I'm not blaming the I'm not blaming. Oh, the no, comic. no. It's a good I'm addition. Just, yeah. Uh, it's the most memorable thing from the thing. <laughs> like back in the day, we were, I think, teenagers when this was out, but. Uh, I knew plenty of people that would quote, I, and still do given the chance to this day, quote the mad bomber, what bombs at midnight. Oh yeah. The evil mid he's like one of, if you asked me to name a villain in the tick, that is the first one that I would mention. Yeah. The evil midnight bomber, what bombs at midnight. And I love the fact 
that Arthur is so willing to go along with that as his name. Yes. Like he's explaining to Doorman. It's like he says he's the evil midnight bomber. What bombs at midnight? Yes. <laughs> well, it's uh, just respect in the super trade, I guess. Yeah, it's it's, it's so I just love it. I just love that. That's that's the thing the the thing I love about the tick mm. is I don't care about all the adventure. Yeah. I like the superhero, like the dumb superheroes and the dumb villains. And I love their funny names. Like, I love that the gun crazed Punisher parody is called Big Shot. Yes. Uh, the the love... other ones at the table are Mighty Agrippa, God of the Aqueduct. <laughs> Uh, Jet Valkyrie, a woman, yeah. and and a fish boy, Lost Prince of Atlantis, who I should and, know it wears floaties. Yeah. And <laughs> and I mean, even like one of the other main characters in the show is a um, a America themed cleaning woman named American Maid. Yeah, she's in this briefly. Yeah, um, she's. They had to so Deflator Mouse, which is German for the bat. Yeah, and. Uh, American Maid are in the first live action tick. Yes. But because Fox owns the rights to those names, they had to give them the much less interesting names, Batman Well, mm. and they made him Hispanic, and yeah. Lady Liberty. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. The, uh, again, the, <laughs> the comic, I remember the one that I thought was funniest. He's, he does nothing in the thing except say his name. Mm -hmm. It was a skateboard Viking. <laughs> I missed him from the the animation. Um, and there's other things like they, they cut out some of the dirtier jokes. Sure. Like in the sidekick lounge, there's a whole bunch more boy wonders that mm. uh, note that uh, in order to become a sidekick, you need some real short shorts and some cherry red lips. <laughs> <laughs> I liked in that lounge, there's a part where there's this orangutan who can talk yeah. and he's complaining about modern society and like how much candy bars cost and all this stuff. Yes. And I love that Arthur's just, he's being held upside down by the ankles and his yes. response is just, you frighten me a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love Arthur's understated. I also like this voice for Arthur. He gets replaced by Rob Paulson starting in season two. Yes. Uh, speaking of the voices, mm -hmm. um, does this survive well for you given its high amount of Jim Cummings in it? That annoyed me, but it was offset by the fact that I had no idea until I looked it up that the evil midnight bomber, what bombs at midnight was Maurice LaMarche. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That That's Jim crazy. Cum Jim Cummings is Barry, but Pat Fraley, Krang, uh, is the dog and orangutan sidekicks and LaMarche is the bomber. And it's like they're doing Jim Cummings impersonations. I... I have never heard Maurice LaMarche do a voice like that before. I've heard lots of Maurice LaMarche. I thought I had him down. I, I you think never of him first, would have guessed. Yeah, you think of him first as like the brain yep. and, and Toucan Sam. But he's got <laughs> that kind of timber to his voice, right? Follow my nose. Yeah. I didn't actually realize he was Toucan Sam until this second. Well, I might be wrong on that. Well, I mean, we'll I, I haven't. You know. When's the last time I saw a Toucan Sam yeah, yeah, yeah. commercial? But. And we know he did the uh, live action Inspector Gadget in an episode. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's perfectly. He's got flex that uh, Maurice LaMarche. He is very briefly in rock and rule and he says a bad word. <gasps> so if you want to hear Maurice LaMarche swear, 
look for him in rock and roll. Yeah. But honestly, I felt that was like Jim Cummings doing triple duty oh. in this show. Uh, yeah. just, just because they're so similar. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, wonder, Jim Cummings has like three voices. Yeah. I, I wonder if they recorded separately and had no idea that they were doing very similar voices. Um, I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I would love to know the story of it. Cause if I was thinking about the voice of the evil midnight bomber, what bombs at midnight? Yeah. I wouldn't have gone to Maurice LaMarche for that voice. No, I would love to know the story of that casting. Uh, who knows? Maybe he evolved it. Maybe it just came on when he had to read lines like, okay, so <laughs> he's, if you couldn't tell by my doing him earlier, he's frenetic and he just has no impulse control on saying anything. So when mm-hmm. Arthur confronts him, he's like, uh, about, you know, what he's doing there. He's in the bathroom. And he's like, I just wanted to use the, and so he says, evil's okay in my book. What about yours? And they go, yeah, baby. Yeah. I just wanted to wash my hands. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's explaining his entire backstory to oh, no right. one on the entire drive to the club, culminating right. <laughs> him explaining his name when he finally gets there. And he gets to plant out, he gets to plant multiple bombs all throughout the club while rambling about how evil he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> A club full of superheroes and nobody stops him. Um, <laughs> oh, I should, some other voices are interesting in this too. So Townsend Coleman is the tick. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you've you know, read a comic and then you see the animation, there's often a disconnect for the voice. But mm. I think that's pretty much what I thought he sounded like. The tick. I mean, there've been three tick voices yes. and they've all been pretty decent. Like I remember when they were first talking about, they're going to make a live action tick and Patrick Warburton's going to be the tick. He's a like, pretty good fit. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. The third one, the tick is fine in that too. Although I don't like that series as much. It's it's made by Ben Edlund. He's involved yes. in it, but it kind of misses the point of the tick. Uh-huh. The plot of that. I mean, this is getting off topic a little bit, but I'll explain it very briefly. Uh-huh. The plot of that one is that there was a superhero team that watched over the city and the terror murdered them all years ago. Mm-hmm. So there are no superheroes in the city. Ah, uh-huh. that kind of goes against the general sort of theme of the tick. Of, yeah, it does. Seeing- seeing a whole bunch of weird concepts. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I was thinking of this show. There was one guy whose whole deal is static electricity. He wore mm-hmm. a fuzzy suit and had a stride where he slid his feet along the ground to build up a charge. Oh, the carpeted man. Yes. And he overheats and sweats and passes <laughs> out, right? <laughs> or like, there's a similar, there's a similar concept in the, in the third series, the second live yeah. action tick. Uh, yeah. One of the villains is, they call her Miss Lint. Yeah. Because she can control electricity. Yeah. But because she controls electricity, she has a constant static charge and she's just constantly attracting dust and lint to herself. Hey. Which is good. Like that's that's tick quality humor. Sure. There was uh, one bad guy in in uh, the terror. Is it Legion of Evil? I can't remember the he I think his name is just Petroshka. But as a kid, I don't know what that is. Right. Mm. And he 
All through the episode, he claims, I'm many smaller men. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. I'm, and at I'm one point, he's with grabbed. tinier men. Yeah. That's what he <laughs> says. Uh, that phrase yeah. just popped in. I'm filled right, with tinier right. men. Yeah. And so when he's grabbed, he just has his top hat pr- removed repeatedly until he's a tiny upper body running on a stack of, <laughs> of, of uh, increasingly larger legs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, um, that's the part I love about the tick. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. the, the second episode in, introduces Chairface Chippendale, a oh, and gangster Tracy, whose head is yeah. a chair. Yeah, and uh, everybody's a Dick Tracy villain in that. Yeah, voiced by Tony J. I like that. There's a continuity that he, his plot is that he wants to write his name on the moon, yeah. but he only gets to put the C H A, and so forever in backgrounds of the tick, the moon has C H A on it, almost forever. Oh, yes, it gets another thing later on. But well, yeah, yeah, yeah. La- later um, they're trying to repair it, like the tick's trying to repair it. Yeah. And uh, he gets as far as getting the C done. So from that point on, the moon just says, ha. Is that when he meets Omnipotus? Is that the guy's name? Devourer the Galactus Perry? of Worlds. Yeah, yes. that that might have been my favorite episode. For, for me, it would have been between that and the mustache. Oh, uh, uh, Dinosaur Neil. No, 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 not Dinosaur no. Neil. No, no. There's one where Tick wakes up with a mustache one day. Oh, yeah. Huh. And it's it. He he thinks it's really cool until he tries to get rid of it, and it and it's like slapping him around. <laughs> and yeah, he's he, he's like weeping like oh. He's, nobody will believe him that his mustache is beating him up. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you it's said the mustache, episode. when you said the mustache, I was thinking about the scene in the dinosaur Neil episode right. where he's fighting dinosaur Neil's mustache. And he says, the mustache of a titan. Yeah. <laughs> I like, that's another one of um, Arthur's understated, where he's like, it's like, no man could survive in there. And Arthur's like, not the tick. He's nigh invulnerable. Yes. <laughs> hey, you mentioned, so I'm assuming you know that that he changed to Paulson. Did you realize that the tick, no, sorry, Arthur was voiced by Mickey Dolenz? Well, no. I mean, I weird at the time. It's not one of those names that really stood out. No, he's from a group called the Monkees, which is like a comedy group that uh, are also musicians. They had mm. a TV show. Uh, I, I guess he's kind of had a career of doing a little this and that since then, since mm. his uh, uh, superstardom of the '60s. Maybe but. he started demanding too much money, <laughs> and like, uh. Well, we've already got Maurice the Martian, Rob Paul, or Maurice the Martian, Jim Cummings. Let's get Rob Paulson in here. Well, as you say, he's good as Arthur. Yeah. Um, the producer of this, is, well, more than that, Art Vitello, uh, he's got a long career. But this, I think, was his uh, most involved project. This is where he had the seemingly the most control. He was the producer, the story editor, the co-writer. And voice director, at least on some of them, of The Tick. Mm. And he's been in it from the from an animation from the 70s to today. He co-created Gummy Bears. <laughs> uh, I have this pet theory. So we mentioned Sewer Urchin. Sewer yes. Urchin's... I, I forgot how much I like this guy. <laughs> he, he is an urchin-themed superhero. So he's kind of the scrawny weirdo with uh, spiny, a spiny costume. And he stinks. It's mentioned more than once in this. In fact, it's instrumental. Um, and he has a Rain Man impression. And yep. it's my pet theory that 
uh, Art Vitello's love for Rayman impressions will get your your ideas into the show, <laughs> whether it's the Tick or Animaniacs. Because <laughs> it's funny, he's in some ways, and I'm not not just in this episode. In some ways, Sewer Urchin is more aware than a lot of the other characters in the show, despite being a stupid coward. Hmm. Yeah. I remember and, there being one episode where they actually had to go into the sewer. Oh, and he, yeah. And he was like totally in his element. Like he was like, <laughs> he took charge of the situation down there. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. This show, like, I think Ben Edlund, because he, he, it's kind of cool that he was involved as much as he was in the show. Yeah. He, heaven knows he wasn't putting out comics. <laughs> that, that, that comic, uh, you were lucky if you got an issue a year. Seriously. Hmm. But uh, his writing is closer to our generation. So, yeah, true. well, yeah, because you think about cartoons that we'd watch prior to The Tick and they'd have jokes about like Barbara Walters and, <laughs> and you know, movies from the 70s. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Ben Edlin, I think of him as being quite a lot like the brothers chaps who did Homestar Runner. Yeah. You know, he's got jokes about cartoons that we'd have watched and uh, um, and comic books and uh, video games, action figures. He has more of a kind of, that kind of flavor and sensibility about him. And like it goes deep too. like the fact that, you know, it's not just called the city, like the city that they are in is called the city. Yes. But it's not just that, like they go out of their way to revel in the non-specificity of things like right. the mayor is Mayor Blank. The newscaster is Sally Vacuum. Yeah. Like, they, they just revel in no details, except for all the superheroes, which have all kinds of fun details. Yes. The the tick kind of shut down at the point they made this comic where they go to New York. Mm. And the, one of the jokes is, just like in Marvel Comics especially, everybody was in New York. So when the tick and Arthur uh, get into New York, there's a splash page and there's just superheroes everywhere like the street is like half superheroes and there's superheroes up the sides of every building <laughs> but that's funny but i i really appreciate how they changed it in this cartoon to it being probably this low literally low rent club that's on the outskirts of town yeah i always i mean i don't know about the comics but like based on the first episode of the cartoon like there's a uh, uh, like an assignment thing where the like superheroes are being assigned to which city they're going to look out, look over. Mm. And the tick tries this like big elaborate thing to demonstrate how invulnerable he is. And it seems like it kind of blows up the machine and it just kind of defaults to the city. And so I always got the impression that the city was just where they threw all the junk superheroes. <laughs> and in other places, in other real cities, they had actual good, competent superheroes. Yeah. This is where Fishboy is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, in the modern day, this compares a little bit to uh, One Punch Man. That's something that I need to watch. Yeah. I'm, I'm not as high on it as other people are, but uh, it's very much a superhero parody like this. Yeah. I like the tick and yet I also kind of hate the tick. <laughs> like I think it had its day. Uh, I haven't been to a con in a number of years now, but when I'd go to like comic cons and I would see the tick booth, I would just get filled with this embarrassment. Like, Oh, <laughs> come on. Are we still beating this dead horse? But 
Anyway, I think this is a worthy favorite episode. Thank you. Let's see if it remains true when you look at Steven Universe. All right, Steven Universe. So Steven Universe is one of those shows that is each half hour is two segments. And so you created your own pick and mix by taking two pieces of separate episodes and mixing them together. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, before I get into this, I should probably explain Steven Universe and also what concept, I know yeah. about it. So Steven uh-huh. Universe is a modern cartoon. It's a rare modern popular cartoon that I haven't watched very much of at all. Just the first few episodes. So the idea of it, I love the concept of it. I think it's a great concept. The idea is it's this team of magical girls, although creator Rebecca Sugar will say that they are non-binary hmm. and they are crystal gem. Well, they're called the crystal gems and they are gem themed. There's amethyst, pearl and garnet. Amethyst is the kind of wild, fun, loving, cool one. Pearl is stodgy and motherly and garnet is stoic and unemotional. And there was a fourth, I think her name was Rose Quartz. Yeah. And she is either dead or gone or no longer in the picture in some way. But what she has left behind is her son, Stephen, the spawn of her and a burnout dude named Greg. (laughs) And (laughs) Stephen is a awkward tubby adolescent, but he also has a crystal gem in his belly button. And so he theoretically has the powers that the other Crystal Gems has and will one day be a superhero himself. And so he's a part of their team, but learning how to be. And so I like the idea of, like I said, this awkward adolescent boy being part of a magical girl team. I think that's a cool concept. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So I will explain everything that I know about Steven Universe before I go into these episodes. Okay. I know, well, I know the concept that I just explained. Mm. Uh, I know that there are other gem themed beings out there that uh, Amethyst, Pearl and Garnet and Rose Quartz are not the only ones. Mm-hmm. Um, do I know anything? There is one other thing that I know, but I won't go into that because, because it's pertinent to these episodes and I think it might be also be a bit of a spoiler. So let me get into the episode here. Uh, The first one that you made me watch is called Giant Woman. And it starts with Amethyst and Pearl playing a game of checkers, being adjudicated by Steven, featuring punishments of water balloons for poor moves. Pearl wins, and the disciplined warrior is annoyed when the fun-loving Amethyst just revels in being pelted with water balloons in defeat. This leads to an argument between the two where each cites the other as the reason they never form Opal anymore. Steven latches onto this immediately and wants to know what Opal is, and the two explain that they can fuse into a more powerful being called Opal. Steven wants to see them do it, but the ladies say that they can only form Opal when absolutely necessary, while also expressing some uncomfortable body language about it. Just then, they see Garnet return from a mission. She has discerned the location of the two geode beetles representing heaven and earth, which may or may not be important to the overall plot of the show, but it doesn't matter because they're the the MacGuffins for this episode. Hmm. Micah, are they important? No. Okay. 
So they need to split up to find them because there's two. And Amethyst and Pearl are happy to spend some time apart. But the Earth Beetle is at the bottom of a lava lake and only Garnet can swim in lava. So the other three all have to go together to the top of the Sky Spire where the Heaven Beetle is. So along the way, Stephen wants to know more about Opal and he takes advantage of every minor inconvenience and perceived threat to suggest that Pearl and Amethyst form her. But of course they don't, and in fact the two gems' opposite personalities continue to get on each other's nerves during the whole trip. The only time they're ever in sync is when Stephen falls from a floating rock, and they spring into action together to rescue him. And this prompts the naive Stephen to question why they don't always work together like that since they're so effective but the women continue to display an awkward distaste for each other. When the group finally gets to the top of the spire, they find the beetle's home, but the beetle isn't there. The frustration causes yet another argument to erupt between Pearl and Amethyst, and during the commotion, a giant bird attacks. The gem's weapons are ineffective against the beast, and so it is finally time for the two of them to form Opal. They begin to dance together, but Pearl's ballet and Amethyst's hip-hop moves don't mesh well, and the fusion fails. Again, they argue. Until the bird eats Stephen. And inside the creature's stomach, Stephen finds the Heaven Beetle. And then, four massive arms burst in and rescue him. They belong to a giant woman who displays the mixed characteristics of Amethyst and Pearl. This is obviously Opal, and she's evil uh, she is able, Opal is able, to defeat mm. the bird with ease. Stephen isn't sure what to expect from the massive Amazon, but she seems just as affectionate toward him as her component parts. They return to the base to meet Garnet, and when she realizes they never, she never found the Heaven Beetle, Opal dissolves back into Amethyst and Pearl, who resume arguing. But Stephen reveal, reveal I am having trouble talking today. <laughs> but Stephen, re Stephen reveals that he has the bug. Garnet praises him for a job well done, including rekindling a sense of harmony between Amethyst and Pearl, and astounds the boy with the idea that he also has the potential to fuse. Hmm. So the idea that this is the episode, obviously, that introduces the idea that the Crystal Gems can fuse. And that's one of the other things that I knew about this going in, because I spent right. a lot of time on Tumblr when Steven Universe was still a going concern. Mm. And the <laughs> growing concern. Yeah. And the fusion thing was something that a lot of people latched on to because course. people like because it's cool and yeah. people like shipping characters and it sparks your imagination, too. Yeah. And it's. Like people like making their own little fan gems because there's lots of different gems. And then, yeah. you know, you make one gem and you can make another gem and there's all these other gems. And imagine what they turn into when they go together. And also there were some people that kind of the, the fusion process seems kind of intimate. Yeah. And there are people who kind of think that fusing is like the crystal gems equivalent of sex. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Pearl is always the bottom. <laughs> She's always the one that has to <laughs> has to be uh, dipped at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So they have this dance. They get real lazy in later episodes <laughs> where it's just like, let's do it. Bam. We're refused. Right. Mm, mm. I guess. Yeah. For dramatic purposes, they didn't want to spend, you know, three or four seconds animating them dancing. But uh, heck, Stephen, I think Stephen's first fusions are 
are like accidental collisions. So some dance, but yeah. I know there's another thing about fusion involving Garnet, but I won't say anything about it because I think it might be a spoiler. I think it's a spoiler. Probably a lot of people know, mm, but well, yeah. I mean, it's this show's been over for a while. I think a lot of people know. There's another. There are two other characters that people really love to ship. I can't yes. remember their names. Paradot. Paradot and, uh, and Lapis. Yeah. 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 People love to think about them fusing. Rower. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't talked about the look of the show. Well, I was going to get into the details of it yeah, when, okay. I, when I finished the second half. Okay. I figured oh, we'll okay, talk okay, about okay. it all and then, you know, then we'll talk about sure it as enough. a whole. So Actually, we had a little brief uh, a thing at the beginning about how we summarize episodes. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you didn't you didn't want to include the goat in the summary. Mm-hmm. There's so many funny laughs with that goat. I mean, it's the same joke. Okay, yeah. So they one of the perceived threats that Stephen says, "Oh, something you should form Opal," is a yeah. goat, which he immediately, well, eventually names Stephen Junior. Yes, and, and I love when the bird eats him. He just blurts, "My son." Yeah, yeah, and his eyes. <laughs> like this is a gag that I don't think I've ever seen before, where like <laughs> his the black of his eyes gets really big, but then yeah. there's white inside them in the shape of a teardrop. Huh. That's a really good visual gag. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he bites Steven's finger at some point, I think, and he says, you're no son of mine. Yes. <laughs> that was funny. I was looking at the episode details. Mm-hmm. The character is listed as Steven Jr. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's the, it's better than the goat. Right. Right. But yeah, no, the the goat is funny. Um, and I, and I also liked the the gags of like the the Beatles bedroom. Oh, hilarious. With little I love the inclusions and a little little beetle baby book. Yes, the baby book. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> this, alliteration. That's what the show is. It's 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 uh it startles you with adorable stuff, I guess, <laughs> is what yeah, it often yeah. does. Yeah. Well, let me get into the other half of this and then we can start talking about whatever we want. Um, But the other the other half from another episode is called Shirt Club. Okay, so Stephen is delighted with a flyer that he made for his dad, Greg's new side gig of offering guitar lessons. It's a childish, childishly badass picture of a guitar wielding (laughs) Greg featuring the slogan Guitar Dad. The Crystal Gems, they're alien sensibilities not good at humoring a child's art don't understand the picture but steven is still happy with it while putting up flyers at the local donut shop he runs into local cool guy buck who seems to like the flyer and suggests that it would make a good shirt fortunately his dad is the mayor and as part of the perpetual campaigning buck has access to t-shirt printing equipment steven finds a flyer there that Little baby Buck drew to help his dad in his initial campaign, which warms the mayor's heart, but the old child's drawing embarrasses Buck. So the two print up a series of shirts featuring Guitar Dad and use the t-shirt gun to spread them around town. And people seem to like it. And while celebrating their success over pizza, they overhear a girl showing off the shirt in love with it because it's so funny. Stephen is uneasy about people thinking his ad is a joke, but Buck assures him that the only important thing is that people are talking about it. Stephen then goes to visit his dad at his car wash, 
and he's been getting lots of visits thanks to the shirt, but he finds it kind of strange that no one has actually stayed for a guitar lesson. They just want to take pictures of him. Stephen heads back to the printing facility to let Buck know that the shirts aren't working, but Buck explains that the shirts aren't an ad. It's that Stephen's bad drawing, displaying a genuine <laughs> love for his dad, is funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and people love the shirts ironically. <laughs> Stephen doesn't want to keep making the shirts for that purpose, but Buck isn't going to stop. Stephen goes to the Crystal Gems for help, but they advise him to figure out a solution for himself. And Stephen does get an idea. So while Buck is watching his dad dedicate a new park bench, Sniper Stephen climbs a bell tower with the t-shirt gun and unleashes a new barrage. These shirts have Baby Buck's campaign picture on them. And cool guy Buck is forced to watch in stoic humiliation as people find the new shirt even funnier than Guitar Dad, thus drinking <laughs> his own medicine. Later, at the car wash, Buck shows up to apologize to Steven and to get a lesson from Guitar Dad. Oh my god. This thing, <laughs> like, okay, so the reason I'm, like, reason I'm conflicted is Giant Woman is probably a lot of people's favorite episode, I imagine. Okay. And it, it introduces a integral part, and it's a good episode, it has a catchy song. Mm, yeah. But the deep cut side of me likes this episode because no one else does, or no <laughs> one else would like, pick this as their favorite. But man, the, 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 the conflict of this episode is that a hipster made an ironic t-shirt <laughs> of his father. <laughs> well, when you say it that way. <laughs> it kills me. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right uh, yeah it's <laughs> so i'll tell you the first thing that jumped out at me well there's two things that jumped out at me as soon as i saw them in this episode yeah one buck looks so much like garnet that at first i thought he was a shape-shifted alternate version of oh, garnet huh. yeah and then it turned out that everybody knew he was buck and he wasn't and second the voice of greg because yeah. I had heard this before, like I've seen other episodes of Steven Universe that have his dad in them, but it's been a while. And hearing it now, I can't remember the actor's name, but I was suddenly like, oh my gosh, it's him again. It's Jermaine from Adventure Time. Hmm. Jermaine, if you don't know, is uh, Jake's twin brother. This actor keeps showing up in places I don't expect him. And I keep going, oh, well, actually, wait, I should back that up. He keeps showing up in episodes of things that I have seen before. Right. And I am now realizing, oh, it's that guy. Because he was in an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force as well. So he's in stuff you like or you like him? Well, I both. it, I it just that. surprises me. Yeah. It's like, I'll just be watching or I'll go back and say, I haven't seen this in a while. Let me go back and watch this. And then a voice will pop up and go, oh, it's him again. He hmm. was in this this whole time. I didn't know that. OK. So now I kind of love Greg. <laughs> you know what? I do, too. Um, yeah. There was I think it's like the second episode of the series where they have to find this super gun that Rose Quartz left behind. And it's yeah. like stuck somewhere deep in the van that Greg lives in. Yes. <laughs> I loved that as a concept for an episode. Like that he's just yeah. like, like that's the thing. Like, you know what the theme of this is superheroes. Yes. Because it's the idea that there's these superheroes 
these crystal gems. But then the conflict of the episode is, oh, I got to find this gun in the back of my burnout dad's van. Yeah, I tell That's... you, from from the pilot onward, um, in the early going, in the pilot, in the first handful of episodes, I thought the show was going to have like a, a, uh, a template to it where each episode, Stephen would get a superpower that would be rendered pointless by the end of the episode. <laughs> so like in the pilot episode, uh, he gets an artifact that lets him... Uh, time travel if he thinks of a snappy comeback to an insult <laughs> and uh the uh but in the end he accidentally travels back to the beginning of the whole thing or like there's another episode where he's able i think it's to conjure his shield but he thinks it's linked to an ice cream sandwich brand that's gone uh, oh, out of stock yeah i saw that episode yeah. too yeah so i thought all the episode and then i sort of lamented oh they're they're it's not like that but it, you know it it continues on and grows and gets a storyline and new characters and you know development for Steven. So, you know, it's all good. It's good. Yeah, I do. Like I said, I like this concept. I like this idea of this ordinary. I I can't believe how well this actually meshes with the tick. Um, oh, yeah. The idea yeah, this, by, by, by accident. <laughs> yeah, total accident. Like, I'm just kind of realizing it now. Like the idea of this, you know, the crystal gems by themselves it would just be a pretty ordinary adventure show. Right. But with Steven in it, like this, this kind of guy who's living an ordinary life. And even though he has extraordinary powers, he's not very good at using them or unaware of them. And he has to just kind of deal with ordinary problems. Yes. And you know, but there's another kind of, du yeah, this duality is kind of sprung from, uh, uh, like a lot of ideas. I think it's one thing, but then, something else develops and parts of the original idea creep in. Mm -hmm. So I think this was originally going to be a cartoon about all the weirdos that live in beach city. Mm. And then that just became the backdrop to a different storyline. Right. But beach city is still full of weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> it's so the character designs in this show in general yeah. are pretty interesting. There's one, one thing that I really want to talk about, which is Lars, one of the guys oh. who works at the donut shop. His spacers. Yeah. His spanners. Whatever yeah, he, spacers. He, he has these really big holes in his earlobes and he's all earlobe. Yeah. And the yeah. thing is, I looked at that and went, there are people like that. And yeah. it's, it looks, you might, it, you might think immediately that it's weird, but at the same time, no, it was just really clever of the character designers to realize that a person that age might actually look like that. He's a good character, too. Um, it's pretty good. One of the... So, it seems like art, artists of various types kind of have little things that they like. Right. Uh, like Justin Roiland in Rick and Morty. Every character's pupils are little squiggles, and every emotional expression is their mouths turning into downward tubes. Right. Um, in she on the Princess of Power, something that I wish hadn't been pointed out to me because now I can't unsee it is that mm -hmm. every character has this like blush patch across the bridge of their nose and onto their cheeks. Right. Okay. And now I'm like, ah, I wish nobody had pointed that out. Cause now every time I watch it, that's all I can see. All you can see is modern penny arcade. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh boy. It's not that bad, but mm, no. Okay. I actually did see a little bit of that in uh, wolf walkers. I just didn't mention it. <laughs> Okay, so what um, about Steven? 
thick lips. Yep. There are so many characters with big plump lips and uh, the the biggest offender, I mean if we call it an offense, is Amethyst. Oh, Amethyst says that really funny Cupid's bow. Not a Cupid's bow, but it's she looks yeah, she, she looks like an octopus sucker with a hair lip. Yeah. And you know, listen, I'm not going to argue it. Like she is not human. She is not there's no reason why her mouth has to be human shaped. I'm not going to say you shouldn't have done that. It makes no sense. She's she's some kind of weird alien being. She can have whatever mouth you want. All I'm saying is I find it off-putting. For me, watching this like these early episodes when I guess, you know, they're still feeling out these weird designs, right? Mm-hmm. I remember being fixated on Steven's weird nose. Yeah, for, that's another was, one. Yeah. I mean, eventually, eventually you just, the, the characters become who you love and you just, it's kind of like real life, I guess, when you see someone that <laughs> seems weird. <laughs> yeah. And you just, it, you don't even think about it anymore once you get into the series, but. Oh, his his dad has the weirdest. Uh, he's got a Homer Simpson style uh, five o'clock shadow that yeah. is <laughs> seemingly undefined. Sometimes how wobbly and weird it is. It's all puffy, like it's like a drawn beard. His dad's yeah. like this is why like his dad looks so trashy, just wearing like this tank top with a constantly sunburned head and forearms. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> And sandals and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how trashy he is. There's one bit where he got to sleep on somebody's couch and he's like, oh, fancy, ooh la la. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was going to say earlier, I was talking about how much I like him. He's got a line from an episode that I think of a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a recurring cartoon within a cartoon in Steven Universe called The Crying Breakfast. Okay. And all it is, is like anthropology anthropomorphic humanoid breakfast items that walk around and cry. <laughs> so there's a bit where Stephen and Greg are in the same room and Stephen's like sitting cross-legged and avidly watching the television of like, you know, a waffle and an egg walking around going, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Greg is in the background saying, I must be getting old. I used to like cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. So, yeah. So I think... I'm not really sure why I've never really given Steven Universe much of a chance. Like it's, Availability, maybe? Oh, I'm pretty sure I could find every episode if I wanted to. Well, worth doing. I mean, fun show. I mean, I and, don't have anything else yeah. that I'm binging right now. I, maybe this is the opportunity. I actually, I guess after, um, after the movie, they made more episodes. And I haven't watched those. So there's still some I've yet to watch. It's something called Steven Universe Future. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the stuff they made after the movie. I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah. You know what are the crimes of this show? Mm. A lack of toys. Hmm. There's like, you know, the the random mini figurines that you get at the dollar store. Yeah. And then there's Funko Pops. <laughs> so essentially between all those toys, you don't have, like most of these characters do not look like they look in the show. Yeah. Yeah. This show's hmm. hurting, hurting for some merchandise. Well, you know, maybe it would just be ironic merchandise that people would think is a joke. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that no, scene... it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to leave while I'm on top. Okay, so uh, that'll do it for the show, except 
What's left is to give assignments for next week. Autumn has started and kids are going back to school. So we are theming our picks for next week around school. School. Yes. Matsy, your school themed episode for next week is from The Raccoons. Oh boy. It's entitled Making the Grade. Making the Grade from the Raccoons. This will be interesting because I have recently discovered that not everybody knows. See, I go back and forth on the raccoons where it was like, oh, this must be a Canadian thing. It's like, no, wait, Americans know it too. And now I've gone back to, wait, Americans don't know about it. Well, Americans certainly didn't have it on CBC at seven o'clock on Sunday. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Okay. The raccoons. That'll be fun. I'm not opposed to the raccoons. Hmm. But you'll probably be opposed to what I got. Oh, boy. Micah, I love you like a brother. And you know that I would never do anything to hurt you with that intent. But sometimes things just happen. I've spared you a Tiny Toons episode. What have you done to me? (laughs) All right. We had to get to it eventually. And this seems like a good time as any. Dinosaucers. Oh, I don't hate dinosaurs. Yeah, well, how, when's the last time you watched it? Uh, I don't know, 30 years ago? Yeah, I watched <laughs> it today. Okay. Okay, so there's an episode called Teacher's Pest. Uh, very clever. Yeah. Okay. And All right. that's what we got. So we got Making the Grade from the Raccoons and Teacher's Pest from Dinosaucers. All oh, the 80s are in full swing. 80s furries. So. And scalies that should probably be featheries. There's one feathery in the show. Anyway. There is, yes. We'll perv out on these things next week. (laughs) (laughs) So until then, we'd love to hear from all you celery stalkers who listen to us. Let us know what do you think of the show. Let us know what cartoons you would like us to watch. You can reach me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. I'm AC Matsy on Twitter, and as long as you're on Twitter, tweet about the show. Make people listen to it, because it's pretty good, I think. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, my favorite thing is the Celery Stalker slogan. You'll never prove a thing, copper. I'm just a part-time electrician. I, 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 bad is good, baby! Down with government! Down with government!